Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Neil and Jordan podcast, the podcast where two comedians talk like experts on subjects they are not experts on. Today, we are going to be talking about the upcoming Australian election with our expert commentator, Friendly Geordies, also known as Jordan Shanks, Mark Anova. I love how that's the smear that uh, y- y- your last name. Is it? Yeah, it wasn't that what Mark Latham was always saying on Twitter. What was he saying? He always just referred to you as Mark Anova. Why is that a smear? What's he talking about? I don't know, but I just think it's funny. What was he just saying? But isn't the whole angle of them, you're a sexist and a racist, and then they're just drawing attention to the fact that I'm basically genetically identical to he who must not be named? What? I don't know what the fuck they like, dude. I don't understand the oh. insults anymore. They've just gotten okay. so narrowed because of how many have been disproven that they're like, he's shorter than average. No, I'm not. He's kind of woggy. Uh, he's, he's a wog. Now you're the racist ones. I don't get this. Where are you going? It's well, <laughs> if we can I think get of it. a good insult for you before. Uh, what do you got, Labour shill? Yeah, but like you know, it's just Commie. I, I have a shirt. Advertising that I'm a Labour shield. It's done. Mm, mm. What actually gets to you? That you're a liar? Liar. That you don't. Uh, paid. I hate that one. I hate, I hate, yeah, I hate anything that suggests hack. that I'm dishonest. Nah, hack I'm fine with. Okay. Hack basically just means you're uh, relentlessly apologetic, which I am. What, relentlessly apologetic? Do you mean unapologetic? No, just like, you know, if, if uh, you do whatever you can to defend the party. Ah. And I do defend okay. the faithful. I am a crusader. Uh, so that Man doesn't. Of the people. I don't know. I don't I love know what it. fucking angers me anymore. It's because it's just they're the same insults, and after a thousand times, is it's just like you're bulletproof. You get bulletproof. You get bulletproof. It's like, look, if you're a midget and you're still offended by short jokes, I guess you can roll your eyes after a while. But like at some point, you've heard them all, and you're not going to snap and freak out. It's just like a. Yeah, okay, well, you're going to give me my mail or you're just going to make fun of me, Postman? Oh, no. You're going to put it at the top one so I can't reach it. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> Does it come full circle? You start to laugh at them again? Hey, we can talk Maybe. more about this in a second because uh, get through these. Uh, ads. The, get through the, oh, we don't get that. Not ads, supporters, supporters of the podcast. Of course. We're going to talk about the election. We've got a question that we're going to answer as well. I'm very interested to hear your uh uh, response to this question, but uh, this podcast is proudly sponsored by Steady Freddy. Steady Freddy have a wide range of male sexual health products. Go to SteadyFreddy.com. Use the code Neil Jordan. You get fifteen percent off. They got condoms. They got wipes. Wipes for your cock. Yeah, and whatever other private area you want to wipe, they got the wipes. Mm. They got these ball boost tablets that will boost your uh, testosterone and your vitality. Have you tried it? Feel like a man. Get the ball boost tablets. Yeah, I have actually. Get hard. Anything that'll uh, boost the testosterone. I'm all about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. get the ball boost tablets in there. Uh, uh, their favorite product is the delay spray. The spray that'll keep the cum at bay. So if you if you come too early, if you're uh, watching a friendly Geordie's video and you hear him say the Liberal government and you just <laughs> it just comes out. Get some of the Freddy, Steady Freddy <laughs> Delay Spray. Spray it on. Uh, it's a formula that was uh, 
made by Dr. David Reiner, and a lot of partners buy them as a gift for their uh, male significant other. So go to steadyfreddy.com. Make sure you use the code Neil Jordan. Uh, links are all in the description. We're also sponsored by Crush Organics. Crush Organics. You want some CBD oil? Get some CBD oil. Go to crushorganics.com. Crush with a K. Use the code Neil. You get 40% off. Try all the different oils. They've got a huge range of oils for you to relax, for you to unwind, for you to uh, alleviate that anxiety. Get some Crush Organics CBD oil. I'm a big fan of it. Been using it for nearly a year now. So use the code Neil, crushorganics.com, steadyfreddy.com. All right. Do you want to? Do you want to? Do you want me to read out this question? Yes, please. So, and also, I've just got a question for you and everybody else. While we're doing this, and it's got nothing to do with politics, but it needs to be answered nonetheless. Why does every hot chick in every major city consist of the entire audience of Moulin Rouge, the live show? I don't get. I don't it. even. What? I don't understand that question. I thought I was going to Dave Hughes. We were in an audience filled with extremely well-dressed men that I suspected were gay and the hottest women I've ever seen in my life. That was almost exclusively the crowd. And then we went up there and then they said, this is for Dave Hughes. And we said, yes, can we proceed? And they said, this is for Moulin Rouge Live. And I was just like, God, that has had a good run, hasn't it? So the attractive people were going to Moulin Rouge or Dave Hughes? I'm going to Moulin Rouge. And then everybody that was in Dave Hughes was just like, oh, okay, every HR department in Melbourne is in here. But the women going to- I don't understand. Why are extremely attractive women attracted to that show? What happens in Moulin Rouge again? Uh, She's a burlesque dancer and she has it her way. And then she finds this Welsh coal miner, I think, that works the lights and she gets attracted to him somehow. I think that sounds a bit more appealing uh, than than Husey live for an hour for for a, for a very hot girl. But, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a hot girl. So more you- options than those two. I'm just wondering why they're all going to a, a like from a live show of a movie that was kind of popular 20 years ago. It's from that song, that Christina Aguilera song with all the Lady Marmalade. Yeah, it had all the divas of the 2000s. That song, I think. Uh, even I, uh, I loved that song when I was a yeah, kid. Yeah, sick. So well, I, awesome. I think a lot of a lot of young girls in the two thousands probably liked that song, and 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 then thought, well, all right, I'll go see it live. Yeah, but surely some of the uglies liked it as well. Why is it just attracting tens? It was nothing but tens. I, I've never seen a more attractive audience in my life. Look, just answer me this: you, you, if you're a woman and you're nine or above, so pretty big call on yourself, love. First off, but second. Can you answer the question, if you're hot, why do you like Moulin Rouge? Now, let's get to the election. <laughs> just want to know. <laughs> I, I've honestly never seen anything like it. It was remarkable. But I don't even know. I I'd, I have no idea. I have no insane. idea. You'd have to do a, an, an, an analysis of the attractiveness of people and the shows they frequent. There's relations. There is. I don't know why, but- Every audience is different, right? Like, it's going. I was just—I I feel like the audience for Hamilton would not be as attractive. Me neither. Purely just from uh, the, the people I see constantly posting about it on Instagram. Loses. It's a very small sample space, but it's fair enough, though. It's a sample size, nonetheless. I always mm. think that too. When I every time I think about Hamilton, I think, yeah, this is going to be a Twitter classic, isn't it? They're really going to like the idea. Of uh, 
like a musical being turned into the founding forefathers done by a Hispanic man. That is going to be right up their alley. Am I right? You said that like an evil genius. <laughs> you whispered that into the microphone. I don't know why. It just angers like it was me. was the most evil thing that you've ever thought of. Because <laughs> I saw one of the raps of the, a doctor, a lawyer, son of a gun or something. And I was like, this is just sacrilege. You've, you fucked the American spirit, really, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, it's made rap. It's made. Uh, it's made sort of old. Uh, how can I put this? Musicals and high art usually had a tinge of elitism, and it sort of brought that down. But then it's brought rap up to the point where it's kind of upper middle class. Yeah, so it's, it's made not, it's both not, things mid brow. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's gentrified <laughs> both to, to the middle. It's not, you're not that going to see disgusting. a symphony. What an abomination. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, marketing genius, uh, but yeah, the raps on it were uh, a bit cringy. I know. It's just, it's because Obama likes the idea of rap, but he's not allowed to like any rap. And so, he tweeted about it once. That was the strategy, just to get something that would be appealing to Obama. Why... Can't they just make news stories with uh, people of colour? Why do they always have to try and put a person of colour in a situation where the, the founding fathers of America? I mean, I don't know their obsession with white. that. I know. I don't know their fucking obsession with it. Go back to uh, prehistory. Do ancient Egypt. Yeah, why the fuck not? Those are rapping about the, the the Declaration of Independence, dude. I don't know. Oh, there's so many layers to it that's so mm. fucked. Gonna, and yeah. I think the worst one is the rap. The rap is just, the, that was the cherry on top. Have you actually seen it? No, I saw that one rap and my girlfriend was like, can we go? And I just went, no. And that was the end. I'm putting my foot down. That's one of the privileges you have of being in a long-term relationship. There is just some point where you're like, I'm not going to go to the things that I know I would have had no choice to have gone to in the early stages of this relationship. I don't know. Is that a privilege in every long-term relationship? Surely. Isn't isn't the you stereotype a you're, on a, you're, on a, you're on a leash and you're just getting dragged along to Ikea? Yes. You have to go to a lot of Ikea visits, but I will take 30 Ikea visits over an hour and a half of Alexander Hamilton any day. You know, there's just <laughs> yeah, some things. Passion. Well, it's, don't you, I, I mean, some... I'm, I'm on board. Like, I, just, yeah. the, I haven't seen it, but the... Mm, the vibe. Yeah, it's just so unheterosexual male, isn't it? It's so everything against the grain of what heterosexual men like condensed into one thing. And, it's like, and now you have to sit there and watch it. No. <laughs> it's definitely not my thing. It's just that. It's just heterosexual women. It's kind of like getting sat down and forced to watch Storage Wars. I don't, think, I don't even think gay men like Hamilton. Surely. No? I don't think so. I'm going to get- I, I, They'd go to Moulin Rouge, right? Fuck yeah, they were at Moulin Rouge. It's glamorous. In fourth. Yeah. Right, okay. Well, when, when, when there are hot girls there, there's going to be gay guys. There's going to be gay men. Attractive gay men, not beer gay men. Which is exactly what there was there. The beer gay men are at- uh, Just the most well-groomed people in Melbourne. There. At Moulin Rouge. At Moulin Rouge. Okay. And Hamilton is uh, spinsters in HR. 
and yeah. bear gay men <laughs> and straight. <laughs> where are the straight men going? <laughs> they don't go to shows. Yeah, they don't go it's to a, shows. It's a cuck thing to do. Yeah. Unless it's my shows, come to those. Do but, that. But I'm actually trying to. Footy. St- I'm fucking. Even, Carl even, Barron. They're going to Carl Barron. Even, oh, I wanted to go to Carl Barron. Even the guys who go to the footy are usually just overweight blokes in their 50s. A lot of divorce yeah, in that yeah. room. They have a lot of. Uh, they see them. The, the, mm, their self worth is determined by how their team performs that day. Because that's all they've got left. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, we did it. No, you didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, you're cheering. You didn't do anything, man. You can think they that. They did it. <laughs> okay, maybe your membership contributed to uh, some uh, stallion's $500,000 a year salary. Maybe. So, but, you did uh, a bit. Let's be you honest, they probably have investments that are probably paying for that anyway. Yeah. Just sucking up money for nothing. It's just sitting in an account. Hmm. But buy your jersey. What's a live sporting? All right, we, we, we will get to this question, actually. All right, all right. We have a habit of getting sidetracked. So, uh, okay. I live in the ACT, have 10 years on you guys, and 15 years ago I nearly joined the Labor Party. However, I don't think I can ever forgive them for pandemic authoritarianism. I don't like the libs either, who I see as complicit, but probably doesn't help that Andrew Lee and Katie Gallagher are insufferably woke. I don't know what it is about me. Maybe that I'm a second generation immigrant and spent good chunks of my childhood overseas, but I seem to be far more worried than most about the creeping authoritarianism we've been seeing in the West, from increasing censorship to Canada normalizing, seizing bank accounts, to kill switches being mandated in new cars, to the broad acceptance of government mandates we saw here. What do you think it is about Australians that means most of us seem to trust government? Do you think it is Helen Dale's notion that we're not just the descendants of convicts, but also the wardens? Is this a good thing? And if not, what can be done about it? For myself, I'm Seriously considering permanently leaving the country and my only hope is a massive crossbench at the coming election. AJ. Yeah, I want to see. I want to hear your reaction first. AJ, AJ, AJ. I don't know where to begin. The first one is, what, what do you expect would have happened in a pandemic? Do you think it should have just been open borders? Because you can look at the stats and New South Wales had deplorable ones. Of course, Victoria had one as well, but, dude, the response time is just virtually second to none. It's up there with some of the best performing countries on earth in terms of getting the numbers back down to zero. Delta is a special case because Delta is a lot harder to deal with, but still. Should it be up to the people whether whether we lock down or not? But here's the thing. How do you know? Like- I mean, theoretically, you elect governments to make decisions on your behalf. As we've pointed out numerous times, that's not the case at all. There is a propaganda modelling shape that, like, they just follow the orders. But this is the whole thing, right? Daniel Andrews, throughout the the, uh, pandemic, you can argue with it, and I'm sure that you've got specific examples where it's like, you didn't do that. I can guarantee you this. He listened to his chief scientist a hell of a lot more than Gladys Berejiklian did. Gladys Berejiklian is on record consistently saying that she was getting her orders during a pandemic from the business council. So, this idea of authoritarianism or the government uh, being controlling, you really have two options. You've always had two options. Either the government is controlling you 
or there is a vacuum there and then you have the business council acting as the government, which is exactly what happened in New South Wales. And the results were horrendous. And they were horrendous doubly so because they have a pro-business government in there that has been stripping away the hospital system, both privatising it and underfunding it for a decade. So, it was not able to cope with the numbers that we saw. Um, again, like you, this, the, the, these things are just basic statistics. There's You can look at it if, if you're talking about the economic response to COVID, uh, a lockdown was far better than just letting it run rip, just rip through the economy. Uh, it saved way more jobs at the end of just having lockdowns. Uh, as opposed to just letting people die off or get sick endlessly and just straining the hospital system. Um, and so, basically, like, look, when you're saying there's authoritarianism happening with the government, you're going to have to be way more specific than that because, look, the what Liberals had one of the worst responses federally, one of the worst responses in the developed world to COVID. What about One of the worst in the developed world. Mandating the uh, the vaccine, not not specifically mandating it, but essentially making it so that you would struggle to live a normal life without having taken it. Yeah, but here's here's my here's my answer to that. What what country do you think did well? And I will find a bunch of people saying that that response was like I I, I can guarantee you this the. The country that you think is ideal, I bet you I could find a bunch of very highly qualified experts saying that that is not a good way to go because I can almost guarantee that that country would be used as an example of what you should be doing basically to fit into the corporate propaganda of people like the Koch brothers and people like here in the business council that wanted to keep things open so consumption could just continue on. So, the thing was, it was like, obviously, the business council is not thinking about the general health of the population. The business council, so whatever. The point is, the government is trying to do things in the interest. They're not trying to do things in the interest of, you know, making your life difficult. I can guarantee you this. Labor governments were doing it in the interest of trying to stop as many deaths happening as possible, of keeping the economy going because they're interested in the process of governing, right? The Liberals were clearly doing it because their donors were saying, we want to keep making money during a fucking global pandemic. And so, you can see that as freedom or maybe it's just the fact that your government is completely taken over the thing that is supposed to represent you by a select group of private interests. I heard that uh, during the lockdowns, it actually benefited large corporations quite drastically and small businesses were the ones that ended up feeling the brunt of some of those measures. And that's absolutely true. So, why would then the Business Council be against those uh, lockdowns when it it seemingly has benefited them? Because- Originally, and this is what happened, if you look at the timeline of what happened with the Liberal Party, the Labor Party was demanding a lockdown, I think a month before it actually happened. Uh, Again, you can compare it to New Zealand because we're both island nations and we both had a similar time of when the virus came to our countries. New Zealand's was a bit later, but the point is we had weeks, months, arguably, 
uh, of knowing that a pandemic was coming to us and there was zero preparation by the Liberal government, zero. Conversely, the, the in New Zealand, they had a total lockdown within two weeks. I mean, shut the borders within two weeks and then had a complete lockdown within another two weeks and we're telling everybody these are the measures that are going to be happening. The Liberals half-assed, half-hazard, no, we're not going to do it. Oh, maybe we might. No, 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 actually, we don't want to do that. We've got to keep the economy going. The same excuses over and over again because Jerry Harvey and the rest were saying, no, we want to stay open. And so there was just this higgledy-piggledy, will we, won't we, will we, won't we. Oh, actually, yeah, we are having a lockdown, but I want to watch the fucking Sharks game, so I'm going to keep it open for another three days. It was based off of nothing. They were not listening to the experts at all. Anyway, it's very coincidental that, as usual, after Labor and the unions were saying, you need to have a lockdown a month before, then all of a sudden the Liberal Party was on board. And it was at exactly the same time that the business council started saying, actually, yeah, we want a lockdown. And then they got the lockdown. Then the Labor Party was saying, we're going to have to give people money like JobKeeper and all this kind of stuff to keep the economy going. They were saying, no, that's absolutely reckless and irresponsible. And then all of a sudden, the Liberal Party turned around and said, oh, actually, wait, no, actually, JobKeeper is a great idea. We'll take that. And instead of doing it the way that the Labor Party would have done it, which is to just give it directly to the employees, so it's the quickest cash injection to keep the economy circulating, instead of that, the Liberal government gave it out to corporations to dispense to workers. Now, that was deliberately designed because if you have good accountants, you have creative accountants, you can invent all kinds of employees to get all kinds of checks. That's when it started getting rorted. That's when it started getting massively uh, uh, swindled by, again, and, and, and also the job keeper and job seeker set up in such a way that, you know, these things could have been much simpler programs than they were, kind of like Kevin Wright handing out the $1,000 stimulus checks. It was very little bureaucracy that needed to be created for that. The Liberals underwent the largest bureaucratic expansion in this government's history to get that system up and running because they wanted to create certain loopholes that made it difficult for small businesses to get those checks, but very easy for people who had, you know, high-priced lawyers that could go through the legalese of it to get onto that very quickly. So, they had two advantages. First off, they could invent all kinds of employees. They've already got cash reserves, so they can just- they can afford to actually keep their businesses locked down for longer periods of time, which is what happens when you don't lock down early. The lockdown obviously goes longer. Mm -hmm. They had that. And then the other thing that they had working on their side was they got the job keeper quicker and in bigger quantities than small businesses. Small businesses had to wait, in many cases, months who don't have cash reserves like fucking BP does or something like that. So, a lot of them went out of business. So, it was deliberately designed for big business to expand their market share over their smaller competitors and just gobble them up at their weakest point, which is exactly what happened. The other big one was making cash extremely cheap by just printing heaps of it. But again, giving it to the banks, no stipulations whatsoever. So, the banks- Obviously, just ramped up mortgages. That's why we have a 25% increase in housing costs. But the other one was, this was the truly evil one, giving out loans to massive companies because they know that they're going to pay it back while the credit's really cheap. They're giving out huge loans. And if you are a big company like BP with massive cash reserves and you know you can pay it back very easily and your competitors are weak- and you're now getting extremely cheap credit, what do you do? You get as much fucking credit as you can so you can expand more and eat up more of your smaller competitors. 
So it's always a thing of just like it was handled in a way deliberately to benefit big business. It just mm. took the Liberals a while to work with the Business Council to figure out a way of taking advantage of the pandemic. This is why I'm saying it's so crucial to have the right government in. You can sit there and bitch and moan all you like about, oh, I'm not allowed to go outside or whatever. And I'm sure that a lot of people did lose their jobs over this. But it is a pandemic. Let's remember that. This is not supposed to be a comfortable experience. It can't be a comfortable experience. And just remember, like, you know, when we're talking about pandemics like in the Middle Ages, these things lasted like 50 years, 70 years. They'd last over the span of three generations if you were lucky. People constantly dying, 50% of the population. It is a different level of uncomfort now. And I'm just saying so that like I think that a lot of this idea of freedom is, as usual, corporate propaganda. But sorry, so continue. If I'm gauging your take on this correctly you could s summarize that there's maybe three options for australia there was the freedom route where the government did nothing and just let the pandemic rip and whatever happened happened and there was the liberal government who was listening to their donors and they were ultimately interested in profit and then there's a labor government that was listening to the health experts mm. and so it was not it was basically a some sort of uh, you know, you could choose one of those three. You could choose one of those three. And I'll also say this, people are always going to go, what are health experts? No, like this is a new pandemic, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, I, okay, that's true. I, I can guarantee you one thing. They know a lot more than you do, a lot more. And yes, they're going to be incorrect about things. And yes, they're going to make mistakes because it is a pandemic and there's no real practice run for it, I suppose. There's just basic things that you can do. But at the end of the day, where are their intentions coming from as opposed to the business council's intentions? The business council's intentions, as we clearly evidence in our economy, is to suck trillions of dollars, I think, that we're at, really. Like, out of the real economy, like, housing went up by $2 trillion, so that's $2 trillion there. We're talking about trillions of dollars of essentially tax evasion that happened, a trillion dollars of your money that went into it. We're already up to fucking $4 trillion that has just been completely ceded over to big business in this election, uh, in, in, in the pandemic, sorry. This is, this is, there was a point where it stopped being a scientific issue and it became more of a philosophical issue, though, and that's where I had personal gripes with it. So if you were smeared as being anti-science when you said, well, look, I can still see that this is a dangerous pandemic and a lot of people could be hurt by it physically, uh, there's still then a cost that has to be borne by a lot of people and that cost was uh, disproportionately levelled upon young people who were quite healthy and had the most to lose. They lost a lot of jobs in hospitality and industries that bore the brunt of the, that pandemic and it felt like there was never an opportunity to even discuss some of the more philosophical ramifications of the ordeal and it was always just you're either pro-science or you're anti-science. Yeah, but like I suppose that's like on a societal level but like in terms of government, government has to make decisions. Yeah. You know? Like, th there are going to be losers in a pandemic. It, it is not an ideal situation. Like, nobody on planet Earth really wanted COVID. Shit, maybe the Chinese, you know. <laughs> but, like, you know, nobody, nobody was planning for this shit. And obviously, there's going to be massive mistakes that are made in the process. But what do you mean by philosophical points? Well, because it, it was sort of... 
oh, you're anti-science if you maybe were against the lockdowns, but it wasn't like you were denying the danger of the pandemic itself, but it was more, hey, I'm just prioritising the freedom for a business to operate or for an individual to continue whatever it is that they're doing, even yeah. if there is a huge cost, even if there is a societal cost to that. Yeah. It's you're weighing up the philosophical argument there of like individual freedom versus collectivist cost. Yes, but this is what I'm saying. Governments prey on those proclivities. Mm. So just because you personally think that society should have more freedom doesn't necessarily mean that Clive Palmer saying that you should have more freedom is sincere. He's just tapped into a huge group like this guy exactly who have just realised, fuck this, I'm not voting for the Liberal Party because they locked me down. Oh, Labor's just as bad because they also had lockdowns. So I'm going to vote for this party that's never had power before that is just a funnel four votes to the Liberal Party, but they say freedom a lot on their billboards, so I'm just going to go with them. You know? well, yeah, there's never, a, there's never a party that's saying, hey, we're actively going to like uh, abolish certain elements of the government bureaucracy. That would be a pro-freedom party. But there's a lot of no, parties that just no. say, yeah, I mean, we're in favour of freedom, but you're voting for, you're still voting, for, you know, you're getting excited about government. Yeah, exactly. It is. Yeah, I agree with you there. Yeah, so they just it's it's like that question is is kind of just like a a personal philosophy. These these ideas are then preyed upon in campaigning, which is what's happening now, which is what really freaks me out about this election, which is that man is not alone. Mm. I think we're looking at a third of people considering voting for independence, to which I would say they're not independents. If they have a shot of being elected, they have these backroom interest groups that you're talking about uh, and they're funneling votes into one of the major parties and they're going to be voting with one of the major parties. Like Pauline Hanson, 92% of the time with the Liberal Party. You're, you're just voting for another version of that because this is the basic idea that no one really understands about politics. I've talked about it in my live show. There's two blocks. There's two interest groups in a parliamentary system that they always flow towards. There's the one that represents the have-nots and there's the one that represents the haves. And anybody that says otherwise, really, when it comes to the function of how this legislation works, they're lying. They're going to be voting with one of those blocks all the time. So don't get fooled by this idea that independents are independents and they just came up on the ballot with the best ideas. If they're getting attention, it is because they have a big machine behind them and someone is paying for that machine. And it's either themselves or it's interest groups that are paying for it. And that is just how politics works. So you need to get past the whole like, oh, there's shadow puppets behind it. But you also need to understand that that is the system, you know. So don't get fooled by this. I want an independent parliament. You do not want an independent parliament, especially because if the Labor Party wins and there is an independent hung parliament, they're going to be in for a term, guaranteed. It's going to be very easy to pick that off because that is going to be a parliament that is not filled with party discipline, which means that they're not going to be on message, which means that there's going to be journalists that will be sitting there picking off these inexperienced independents, getting them to say stupid things that they can then run in the press. It's a lot more complicated. It's a lot more complicated than like, you know, they, they're, they're these free thinking entities. What do you think about 
some of the evidence that I, look, I, I don't know which media outlet to trust with this sort of stuff. In fact, I've been watching Russell Brand, but fuck yeah, he uh, he does seems like he quotes legitimate sources and things. Uh, so I have no idea about the veracity of what he says on his videos. Very entertaining though, and I love any comedian that transitions into a bit more serious commentary. So bias there, but uh, there's been uh, reports that have come out from the CDC in America, but they're they're not willing to release that because it will essentially make them look bad. And and there's things like that. So what about, you know, when you said, okay, it, it's a pandemic and it, it was a very new phenomenon and people did their best, but a lot of people did get things wrong. Uh, is there going to be some accountability for that? Is if, if we find out that these vaccines only last for a month or two when there was all this different messaging and everyone was in this kind of state of panic and we all just had to take it very quickly. What if it, it does come out that, uh, you know, some of those side effects are uh, are very dangerous for, for young men and, and the CDC got a lot of things wrong and what if some of those phenomenons that were smeared as conspiracy theories do come true or come somewhat true who who's held accountable there is it the, is it the health experts or is it just a matter of hey this was a pandemic this was just a crazy time and people have to be forgiven in that situation what do you think uh, well there's definitely not going to be any accountability of course because power protects power that's this is another thing that you just need to understand about the world and accept it right like just can't rail against those kinds of things because it just that's that's a permanent uh, but I would also say when it comes to the CDC, for instance, the, the US is not something that you can compare to Australia for the reasons that we've talked about before because the corporatocracy is so powerful there that even when you have a government agency mandating things, uh, there, there is a few private health insurance companies, which is where the conspiracy theory comes in, which I don't actually think is a conspiracy theory at all. This is just the way that it works, right? Like, okay, uh, if 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 the, it could have been very easily, the vaccine could have been very easily produced by governments. It was instead produced by a handful of extremely well-resourced pharmaceutical companies that basically live off the government like a parasite. That is not the government doing that, right? Like that is private companies developing that vaccine and obviously rushing it out as quickly as they can and obviously cutting corners and obviously bullying the government to dispense it the way that they want it dispensed. But that is not another example of the government having too much power. That is a, yet another example of corporations having too much power. So- if you're going to be blaming authoritarianism, you just you, you really are looking at it the completely wrong way, right? Uh, and yes, when, like I, I, if there's one thing that I can guarantee you, theoretically, if you're right, or like if, if whoever said that about vaccines, no, they're not going to be held accountable. And even if they were held accountable, they would have a legal team that would be able to steamroll anyone regardless. You know, corporation such a massive entity. Which individual is then held accountable? That's the whole point. And then you, that's the whole point of a corporation. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a fee or some sort of fine. That's that's peanuts to them anyway. So peanuts to them anyway. And as, again, because what you're saying is like a corporation. It's kind of true. The 
American definition of what a corporation is in its legal system of it being a human being. It almost is. And like every person that works for it is a cell of that body. You know, like it's just yep. at worst, what will happen is they'll get a scapegoat and say it was his fault and they'll fuck him up and then he'll go to jail. But the, the, the machine moves on. Yep. I think that's just the reality of the situation, you know? So, yes, uh, was the pandemic handled perfectly? Is there conspiracy behind it? Yes, yes. But really, <sighs> the idea that governments are too authoritarian, as we've discussed in this podcast a lot. No, you would have to go a lot further in the other direction for that to even be remotely true. Power being exercised, even when it comes to the pandemics, is in the interest of these select organisations. Anyway, that's my opinion. And just lastly, he made that point about the the Canadian trucker convoy. I don't know a lot about it. My basic take on it was uh, it was a big trucker protest that there was a, there was a line of uh, trucks driving across Canada, and the the Trudeau government was uh, cancelling some of their bank accounts and criminalising some of them as well. Uh, I again I do not know a lot about exactly what happened there, but let's say that the government was seizing bank accounts surely you'd you'd agree that's a that's a step too far right yeah theoretically but this is the whole thing i am very weary about it i don't know anything about it can't really comment on it but it's the same smoke there's fire situation that was picked up by fox news there's a reason that man is using that and it was because it was just put across the usual coke brother networks as you know, authoritarianism gone wrong. There was also exactly the same thing that happened in Australia with Australian police uh, becoming too authoritarian and using Candace Owens got to the ridiculous point where she was like, we have to invade Australia because of how authoritarian that place is. Then it came out that there was a bunch of uh, people here that were being funded to start fights with police to get that footage to feed that narrative to US propaganda networks, right? So really getting in the face of cops, cutting the footage before of them just being like an asshole to them and then them obviously getting the shit beaten out of them because it's a high tense situation and all that kind of stuff. I didn't know that. That was part of that. There was a big reason why all of a sudden Australia became front and centre and it was because they needed that to put out this thing of just like, you know, the world is becoming a police state. and But it's not coming from a sincere place. This is what I'm saying. They are not... You might personally believe in freedom, but do you think that these organisations do? They're huge, massive organisations worth billions, sometimes trillions of dollars, right? Like, I think the Koch Brother Network is getting close to the trillion dollar mark. There is no way that they are doing this to protect your personal freedoms. It is just they are preying on the idea that you have of freedom and then navigating it to their interests. And that's without looking into the Canadian trucker thing, I am guessing that that's probably going to be the case because it rings true to the same pathway that the press uses to manufacture consent. It's that same pattern. Like why the fuck else would America talk about any other country other than America? 
It's always to serve some domestic interest. They, they are the most insular people on planet Earth. <laughs> they, don't, yeah. they don't know or care where Australia is. Isn't there, wasn't there some stat where it was like 40% of Americans couldn't locate Canada on the map or something like that? It was, like, it was an obscene amount. They didn't even know where the fuck Canada was. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're another <laughs> one. Probably not the most educated with global geography. No. Yeah, both of the, a lot of the news networks in America uh, certainly have their narrative and their donors and there's just so many shadow puppeteers, as you say, they're just pulling the strings and a lot of people just don't know who to trust. And I think there's a, a confluence of factors and I don't think, sure, we can blame people individually if they're not as uh, well-versed in, in, in the art of, and, and all the deep machinations of politics, but there's global factors that are also out of their control, just terrible jobs market and climate change and a lot of young men in particular, uh, young people, but young men in particular, as you know, who are voting for uh, independence or UAP and things like that. I think they just want an outlet for their anger and their cynicism and their inability to uh, obtain status and climb any kind of social hierarchy. Mm. And that's definitely true. Uh, so, okay, can I maybe, to people who are thinking of voting this way, could can I maybe, you would say, hey, You've been sold an idea of freedom by a party that is essentially run by powerful entities, corporations that have much more control over you that you're unaware of, and having a hung parliament, even if you think it means the government is being held accountable, doesn't actually mean a truly hung parliament. It means there are unscrupulous political actors who are claiming to be independent, claiming to be for freedom, but are actually just essentially Machiavellian and trying to gain as much power in this sort of disjointed parliament and they are going to move towards one of those two major power blocks. Yeah. And so you should at least vote for one of those two major power blocks and the one that's in your best interest is Labor. Is that... Absolutely. That's... Politics 101 in a nutshell. You can point out a bunch of independents that you say are quote-unquote independent, and it's not that I'm saying that they're all bad people, um, but I would say look at the way they're voting. They're obviously being influenced by one of those power blocks and the power brokers behind it. People in politics, just understand this, right? People in politics are much smarter than you. They're much smarter than me. I've been studying this relentlessly for the last 10 years and I realised that, like, just in the recent court case that I can't talk about, was used as a complete pawn, as was the other person. Pawns on a chessboard. That's all we were. Uh, another media narrative that I can't actually talk about, the Nicole Flint thing, both of us. Pawns on a chessboard. That's it. That is what's happening even if you're being charitable to the quote-unquote independence. You know, there is a rich history of 100 years of the smartest people in the country going into the Labor Party to keep that machine going. 
you, you look at it pound for pound. They're labor just, or labor, labor. Okay. Got the, you look at it pound for pound. They are much more educated than the Liberal Party is because again, the Liberal Party are just puppets of corporations. And you see that anybody who is serious about government, who seriously understands how it works, who's actually spent time thinking about this, they always go into the Labor Party. And the people that usually go into independence are either naive or uh, and and well intentioned, naive and well intentioned is one. And then the other one is they are unscrupulous characters that actually do understand politics very well and know that they can't make it in one of the major parties for whatever reason. They've burned bridges. They're known as they don't have the right allies or whatever, but they still want a seat in parliament. This explains virtually, I would say, close to two thirds of the Greens, uh, and they are just. They're just Machiavellian operators that just wear whatever brand they need to wear to get into parliament to get favours. And that's that's really what you're looking at with independence. So, what if we- Then there are a couple that really know what's up. But those guys have been there for years and they usually came from one of the other parties and they saw their opportunity and then they moved out. But, like, dude, they are not the standard independent. There's a couple that are great, but they are exceptions. Sorry, continue. <laughs> no, that's okay. Uh, what would you say? What advice would you say to people who who maybe have that sentiment? Because, there's a, like you said, there's a lot of people in Australia. I think you said thirty percent of people are considering voting for an independent. If they do feel hard done by, if they feel very cynical and nihilistic about politics and the people who represent us, do you think just saying, "Hey, you're sort of a pawn in this propaganda model," is going to help them? Because they they need somewhere to they need an outlet for that energy and. We can say that, okay, the UAP and these other sort of parties are actually taking advantage of them and, you know, they're not – they don't really have their best interests at heart. They're just – they're catching on to this this uh, energetic sentiment and they're using it to gain power for themselves. So, what advice would you have for people who are in that situation? Because there's, there's a hell of a lot of people who are in – have that mentality. I don't really know because I've been grappling with this for a long time, but it's like – I, all I can do is try and explain the political landscape as best I can from keep in mind studying this for 10 years, right? That's all I can do. I think it just takes a bit of humility to understand that, like, you know, you might have an equal vote in the grand scheme of things, but your vote is not equal to everyone else. Like, it's just... It's, the, the, the people in Canberra know how Canberra works. They they live in it. So it's it's, it's like a it's it's a, I think it's just a thing of like understanding, having the humility to think, what if I'm wrong? Which I try to remind myself of all the time because again, like as I'm always saying, the thing that I like the most is learning that something that I thought my entire life is actually the exact opposite. I really like being red-peeled. So, just think about it that way, I would say. It's just like, I understand why you think that, but can you also understand that there are extremely complicated algorithms that are designed to psychologically profile you within the span of a few seconds by a few things that you click on and know exactly what message to target you with. And those algorithms are bought by usually nefarious operators with exceedingly deep pockets. That's probably what's happening if you think that 
a party that has instilled every major advancement in the society from your workers' rights to revolutionising the economy to giving you Medicare to giving you the NDIS uh, to, if you look at New Zealand, giving you one of the best responses to COVID in the world as opposed to ours, which, as usual, are reflected with everything else when it comes to education, health, and the economy, bottom of the OECD. Maybe they're onto something. Maybe that party has stood the test of time and despite having... Uh, an entire two parties that have to gang up on it. It has to have the Liberal Party and the, you know, Cowboy Liberal Party that have to form to greater coalition. What's the Cowboy? Is that UAP? Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. okay. Then they have to come up with a bullshit Liberal Party that's never going to get any votes anyway, the UAP, because they have to siphon those votes in as well. They have to come up with a bunch of independents. One Nation is, you know, behind closed doors. They do the same deals. Everybody thinks that it's a Labor-Greens alliance. You think that again because that's what the Murdoch press is constantly pushing. They will never say the Labor Party. They will all say Labor and the Greens, despite the fact that the Labor Party probably hates the Greens more than Liberals, and so they should, because the Greens are always contesting safe Labor seats, turning them into minority seats that they then have to fucking attack on that side. They're fighting like a five-front war endlessly, not to mention that the entire press is against them. So it's like, does make sense that people with those many vested, very powerful, extremely well-funded interests are against one party. It does make a lot of sense why people say, yeah, the Labor Party's lost its way. The Labor Party suck. Of course they would, because that's all the information that they get. But in spite of that, they still get nearly 50% of the vote at the end of the day when you count up all the two-party preferred in virtually every election ever. Maybe there's something to that. Maybe they're doing something right if they've survived 100 years while all of these other fad liberal parties. There's been numerous since the beginning of uh, Federation. They've all crashed and burned. And it's because after a while they fuck up so bad that people become disillusioned with them, but they've always got old faithful to go to at the end of the day. Maybe it's because they are there to represent the working class. Maybe. Anyway, that's what I'd say about it. Okay. I guess more broadly, taking it out of politics, what would you say to someone who is feeling very cynical and doesn't like how they were treated in the last two years by the people that they ostensibly elected? I mean, like you say, how much power does everyone really have? What can they also do outside of politics? To maybe fill that void, because I can't help but feel there's a there's a sort of there's a deep visceral anger among a huge portion of the populace, and that's coming out with a disdain for it, just an apathy towards politics in general, which will ultimately help um, the the government that's already in power. You know what? I think it was one of those moments where you know when. They say the best time to uh, buy stocks is during, say, the pandemic or the global financial crisis. That's when you should be investing. That's when all the tycoons buy up because everything's cheap. I think that that's the same thing. It's just like, look, okay, if you are looking into the narrative, which is to constantly separate and divide people for the purposes that we've just been discussing – uh, and as you were saying, a big thing at the moment is to constantly is it's almost as if pop culture is designed to disempower young men uh, for whatever reason. I'm not really sure why, uh, but that is if you look into popular culture, that is the message that you are getting endlessly reinforced with. For the first time when I was down in Melbourne, I just looked at Netflix and it's just like as soon as 2016 hit, 
every single movie that came out endlessly. It's just like, girls kick ass and are really good at judo and they kick all these white men's ass and there's one guy that's good and it's the black guy. The black guy's always good and then there's an evil white man. Like, it's the same fucking message is being pushed out all the time. I get that. But the thing is, dude, I didn't know about that shit because I was reading about the Byzantines for the last six fucking months. You know, like, you can use times of... Times of compression, times of depression to your advantage. It's kind of like how some people used the pandemic to get in shape as a really basic example. It's like, okay, if you're at home all day for two years, it's like the guy that was in the Vietnam prison uh, that was a general that came out. The rest of his friends went insane. He said it was the best, most fulfilling time he ever had being in a ditch in the ground being fed nothing but rice scantily for four years, periodically tortured and, uh, you know, just, I don't know, harassed on a daily basis, right? He was there for four years, didn't know if he was going to get out alive, said it was the best time of his life. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are of the outside world. It's like you can choose to respond to them in an empowering way. That's what I'd say. You are a very unique individual in that you are extremely, extremely educated on this particular subject and you know all the ins and outs and i can understand how it frustrates you to the nth degree when someone comes with a opposing opinion but you know that that opinion is just it's an it's an opinion that has been incepted into them by unscrupulous actors and i can also understand how from someone else who feels like they've they're impartial and they're reading everything objectively and they're trying to vote in their best interest. And then they hear someone like that, not directly call them stupid, but essentially castigate them for their, you know, the, the idiocy they may not be aware of. Do you think that unintentionally pushes them further away? Absolutely. But it's like, okay. I, I don't know how to not respond to it because I, I have a short period of time to say it. And it's, it's like, how, how do you explain to someone, as, as a really, really dumb example, how do you explain to a fish what water is? This is the thing. It's not that I'm actually frustrated at the person. It's more the thing of like, it's really obvious once you see it, but if you don't see it, it's water and you're the fish. You can see the frustration. So, my entire life is looking for the water. That's what I'm always looking for. And so, then trying to explain that to someone else becomes a really difficult task. And, yeah, it is It is endlessly frustrating, I have to say. Endlessly frustrating. And this is the whole thing. When I'm saying this, I'm not saying that I'm a genius, as you said, right? It's just that I've spent a lot of time thinking about that one thing. That's it. I barely know how to put on pants. Like, it's just that I focused that much time into that one thing. So, I think I'm, like, quite spot on about that. But, you know, I'm not greatly rubbed up on astrophysics or something. I don't know anything about anything else, really. My theory is that uh, people who are are sort of attached to the idea that they're rationally observing everything and making a calm judgment are actually emotionally attached to that. And 
what happens is they subconsciously make a decision based on the vibe that a certain party or a tribe associated with that party gives them. And when someone is essentially saying, well, when what is received is like, hey, you're stupid, you're actually a pawn, then the vibe they get is, oh, fuck that, I don't want to be a part of that. I, I feel judged, that feels very judgmental, even though I know from your perspective it's not at all what you're doing. And I'm not trying to sort of say that to you specifically, but, you know, I'm seeing some of the, I remember on your story you posted something about how unions were making some TikTok content. And I went and watched some of that TikTok content and I've got to be perfectly honest, I was like, fucking hell, this is <laughs> turning me against the Labour Party, <laughs> if anything. <laughs> like, it's just, it was just so cringy and it was cringy. And I know the audience was girls on TikTok, so I'm not the target demographic there. They're definitely not trying to appeal to 28-year-old men. But I can't help but feel sometimes in actually trying to get a, a message across. And, and look, the, 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 there's elements of the Liberal Party, or at least let's take it to the American culture war here. There's like elements of the Republican Party that actively sabotage themselves as well because they sit there and they talk about free speech and all of this and then they suddenly like get offended when a porn star comes onto a to do a talk at a Republican event because she's a porn star and they're upset and offended by that. So there are elements on sort of every side of politics and every side of culture that that definitely do that. But I know I bang on about this in every, not even on this podcast and sex sales as well, but I really do think like the vibe people get from either the the marketing, the the way an issue is presented, the way an argument is presented is ultimately what they make their decision on because – you are, you know, and, and you are more. Like, I just got to say this before, though. You bang on about it. You are absolutely right about it. And I've talked to very smart, knowledgeable people about politics, and they pretty much just said exactly what you said then. But continue. Wow. Thank you. Keep <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was just going to say that uh, I've lost my train of thought, actually. What was I going to say? It was about the vibe. People vote on a vibe. Yeah, people vote on a vibe. And, and for people to actually change their. I guess, political proclivities and their ideas about certain parties. It takes a very long time. And look, doing this podcast with you, we've been doing it three years. We're on average talking for an hour and a half each week. Yes, I've changed my mind on a lot of things. But if we had just done five podcasts, I probably wouldn't have changed my mind on anything. Mm. It takes a long time to truly change someone's mind and have them, I guess, uh, recalibrate their reality. Mm. Uh so, when a, a lot of political messaging is just dependent on sound bites, and especially now, TikToks or whatever it is, you need to have people in that, I guess, strategy room or marketing room that are just part of the demographic you're trying to appeal to. Mm. And I think a big problem with a lot of, uh, well, both parties is that y you have a very sort of echo chain, y you have a very unique canberra focus echo chamber there and that's where a lot of the cynicism comes from a lot of people think oh these people don't represent me because they actually don't the messaging doesn't the mm. messaging doesn't mm. whether the mm. policies do mm. is it's, it's so out of their grasp it's it's out of fuck it's, it's even out of my grasp like I've, i'm not gonna have time to sit there and like you know deeply analyze every little policy from every party i'm gonna do some analysis for sure mm. uh but Ultimately, people uh, are going to make their decision on the on the messaging and the and the marketing. And well, Scott Morrison is a marketer; he he does know what he's doing there. But 
I, I think um, a lot of the parties, I mean, look, I'm just one person. There's, there's 25 million people in this country, but I, I understand the, the, the cynicism and the angst when it just comes to issues of politics. I was, I was talking to my girlfriend the other day and I said, I swear like people in power just get like the, the most reprehensible people in uni and say, hey, you be political. You talk about politics all day and hand people flyers just so that every other normal person becomes apolitical. <laughs> Because they're like, I don't fucking have anything to do with these cunts. Like, that's, I think, <laughs> the vibe that a lot of people get. And I guess the question then becomes, like, how does a party that does represent the interests of the not-haves, if you will, and is going up against this big media machine and, and, and money, you know, they don't have nearly even a percentage of the money that the other block has, how can they work on that messaging and marketing? See, this is the whole thing. All they can do is play within the Overton window. And that's all they can do, which is exactly what Anthony Albanese has done uh, almost perfectly until the big gaffe, which is, again, part of the narrative, right? Uh, but, man, I, I think it's just a lot more bleak when you look at these big issues, it's like, look, when you're focusing on your personal life, what you can personally do in your life and what impact you can have is truly inspiring. But when you're talking about moving a society, these are glacial things at best. And yeah, man, it's a much bleaker picture. There's nothing that they can really do. It, it, all I can say is that Anthony Albanese has played the most disciplined campaign in at least living memory. Like, shoot, I mean, Paul Keating was worse at campaigning than this. Bob Hawke was worse at campaigning than this. This man has been completely vanilla for four, for three years, giving the press absolutely nothing. And then after talking for 10 hours a day about how they're coming to privatising Medicare, how they refuse to put in an anti-corruption watchdog because if they did, half their front bench would be in fucking prison. Like, uh, how they refuse to... Oh, sorry. How they are slowly, dis you know, taking away your workers' rights piece by piece. How he wants to build back Australia's... Uh, productive capacity so we're not at the end of the supply chain. You know, like the things that people would actually like, like Australian made, all that kind of stuff. He's talking about that relentlessly. Then out of nowhere, they get the little fucking trivia question of what's the capital of Canada. He says, I don't know, Toronto. They're like, eh, wrong, it's Ottawa. Then they just follow that and then they've, they've been playing it for, I've just done a video on this, for a week straight. For a week straight, I was in Melbourne. People were coming up to me every day saying, hey, how about that gaffe? Yeah, that was really embarrassing. God, uh, Anthony Albanese's really fucked it, hasn't he? Like all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, dude, you are, this is what, this is what really scares me, right? These are Labor voters. Unless your job is to sit there and disseminate propaganda on a daily basis, you are going to have that propaganda seep into your brain. That is, ex it happened with me. Because I'll tell you the other strategy that's happening. That's one of the press strategies. They were building this narrative of, because they couldn't get people to not, not like Anthony Albanese. When they see him on camera, they like him. So now they just play in with your mind, with exactly what you're saying. They figure out what you think, and then they move what you think to serve their agenda. So it became Anthony Albanese is a nice guy, but 
is he experienced? Is this man that has been in parliament for 25 fucking years and has been acting prime minister in the past experienced? He gave him nothing for three years, nothing. And then tired one day, he's just like, yeah, sorry, I can't remember the cash rate. Plastered across the papers every day, every day. How could he do this? It really proves that he's very inexperienced, doesn't he? Oh, so inexperienced. I mean, the cash rate's so important. No one knew what the fucking cash rate was or like that it was even a stat a week before that. But now it's the most important statistics on earth. And it's because the press are telling you that that's important. Meanwhile, a month before, Scott Morrison didn't know the price of fucking petrol. I think, A, that's a bit more prominent seeing as it's on every main road of the country what the price of petrol is. The cash rate is not in front of every BP and Shell in the country, you know? But he got that wrong. That was half a day of news. And then they moved on. And then all week they've been talking about what a surprise, amazing discipline campaign Scott Morrison has been doing and how terrible Anthony Albanese is has been doing and that is exactly what the the public thinks because that is what they're being told Mm. you know like if that is the scenario how are you supposed to get your messaging out especially when you have a organization that is essentially uh learned helplessness is the phrase it's just you know when you beat a dog so much that even when you walk into the room the dog will cower right that is what has happened to the Labor Party. They've just been relentlessly kicked in over the last 30 years that they're scared of their own fucking shadow. Um, in spite of all that, Anthony Albanese personally has been doing a great job, but it's just like th- there's no where to go with the messaging. Do they need someone? Like, I mean, there's, I'm just totally uh, I'm just grasping at straws here, but do they need some sort of a figure like a Donald Trump where who just is so unapologetically themselves and they can then, in effect, move past gaps because their whole narrative will be like the press is adversarial, the press is against me, the press is against you. If they had a system like they did in do in America where there is an entire counter machine that is built up by the Republicans to counter what CNN and MSNBC is going to say, but if you have a Donald Trump figure in Australia... You're going to be as popular as Pauline Hanson. If you have the entire press talking about what an idiot you are and how brash and rude you are and there's no one sitting there being like, he's not rude, he's just saying what he thinks. He's brash, but he gets the job done. They're not saying those messages. That's not going to work. The best option is what Anthony Albanese did, which is just, I'm going to say nothing except remind you that Scott Morrison has a really shit, smug, annoying face. That's all I'm going to be talking about for the next three years. Do you think it's going to – I even in the last week, I felt a, a, a shift in mood mm-hmm. among a lot of people. Yes. Uh, I, spoke to my, I spoke to my family recently. Uh, who, do you have any predictions? Yep, and they're not good. But then again, I'm never right about these things. I just have to preamble that. I'm the worst fortune teller on earth. But internal polling isn't looking good, my friend. It's not looking good. It's looking like the best case scenario is a hung parliament because they've gotten enough people. No offense to just keep using you, by the way, man. Like, I'm sure you're a very intelligent man. You live in Canberra. But, you know, these things are just what they are. Uh huge portion of the population wants to vote independent, which means that there's going to be a hung parliament, which means that they have figured out a way to keep the Liberal Party in power, essentially, even when they're not in power. It's it's, it's a beautiful system that they have set up. But um, 
internal polling is now showing that the best case scenario for the election would be a hung parliament. This is just what I'm talking about when I talk to pollsters, right? And as you're saying, you're seeing that the mood has shifted and everybody was just expecting this comfortable, huge trounce of a win for Anthony Albanese. But you know what it actually was? It was all illusory. It was just Anthony Albanese was so good at not giving the machine anything to work with that instead, because they just needed news coverage all the time, they had to film Scott Morrison and Scott Morrison just relentlessly fucks up all the time. Uh, You know, he's such a... This is the moron that left the country when it was on fire, you know? Like, he does stupid things every day. Um, And so, it was just people looked at him and then, obviously, because he's a schemy little cunt, no one likes him when they actually look at that man. They're like, you're scum. And so, that started to work, which was the other narrative, by the way, that they were talking about, which was... Yeah, Scott Morrison sucks, but God, the Liberals are just the most competent, grown-up party on earth. Uh, It's just a shame that they've just elected the only cunt in the party. Everyone else is great. They're all a party of adults. None of them are hiring prostitutes on your dime. It's all fine, you know? Uh, So what they're setting up is even if Anthony Albanese gets in for a term, it doesn't matter whoever the fuck they get in, Josh Frydenberg or something like that, now it's the party of adults again. Now you can get them back. When they're getting out Kevin Rudd, the entire party is corrupt. It's filled with shadowy men. Kevin Rudd's a psychopath, but everybody in the Labor Party is a psychopath. They're all stabbing each other's backs. When When they cannot convince you to vote for Scott Morrison, okay, let's deflect as much hatred as possible from his government onto Scott Morrison. These are the counter-narratives that they're setting up, which, again, moves more people into, oh, well, they're both fucked because that's the messaging that they're receiving. And so they think, oh, I'm going to vote for an independent. And that's because now you have Clive Palmer pushing the idea of independence into people's minds with his fucking $80 million campaigning. So now it's moving into that. So what they're saying is when you look at it seat by seat, it seems like there's just more people in the cities that hate Scott Morrison than they did in the last election, but they're all in the seats that are already safe Labor seats and the seats that they need to win, they're not really seeing movement. So they're nowhere near as confident as they were even two weeks ago. It was just the reason that Anthony Albanese was so far ahead and the Labor Party was so far ahead is because he was able to just let Scott Morrison fuck up, like give him enough rope and he'll hang himself. But because of the press system that we are in, none of his ideas, like do you think if the in the last week, just give me this idea, right? Hypothetically, if in the last week they were airing Anthony Albanese's campaigns across the country where he's relentlessly talking about how the Liberals promised to have a federal ICAC. Then when it came to crunch time, they came up with a really shit watered down version that was by all legal expertise worse than not having a federal ICAC. And so the Labor Party said, this is shit. And then they went, oh my God, they blocked the ICAC. And then they went, what are you talking about? You're in government, you could pass this. And they said, no, no, it was Labor that did it. So they broke their promise of putting in an ICAC. They obviously broke their promise of putting in an ICAC because this is, and this is just quantifiable fact, right? Like these are the index figures. It is under the Labor Party, we're the seventh least corrupt country on earth. Under the Liberal Party, we're the 18th most, uh, 18th least corrupt country on earth. So we've almost tripled how corrupt we are under the Liberal Party. That is the lowest we have ever been by a mile 
when most of our neighbors are, neighbors are trending upwards. New Zealand is currently the least corrupt country on earth. Um, serious, serious corruption within the front bench, not just within the party machine of the Liberal Party, prominent prominent front benches that are clearly guilty as sin. If there was a federal ICAC, they would be in jail for sure, right? They're not passing it. Anthony Albanese is explaining that. Instead of just focusing on Anthony Albanese being tired and uh, for not colouring in a, a, a bubble in the pop quiz, if they were focusing on Scott Morrison is not passing an ICAC, and that's all you heard in the front pages for the next week. Do you think that Anthony Albanese would stumble? Do you think that there would be this third of the population that would be saying, oh, yeah, they're both fucked. I'm going to be voting for an independent party because they're both corrupt. He's outrightly saying, put us to the test. If there's somebody corrupt in my party, they're gone. Let's put it to the test. Let's find out once and for all which of these parties are actually corrupt. All right? Let's put it out there. God, they would not. It would not be the same. It's just there is the the press do not give the public one opportunity to even know what the Labor Party actually stands for or what they're actually wanting to implement. They just keep that away from the public because it is actually popular with the public. So I think, given that that is the scenario, it could be a hung parliament. Scott Morrison could actually just crawl over the line like he did in the last election and he'll have another miracle victory. And I've got to say that that is way scarier than I originally thought that you can fuck up as much as Scott Morrison did. You can be that corrupt, that many on record, publicly documented rorts, totaling billions, hundreds of billions of dollars, uh, Trillions of dollars of just sapping money out of the country and putting it into a few pockets. And on top of that, publicly fucking up the bushfires, publicly fucking up COVID, publicly fucking up the floods and still get elected. That is terrifying to me. That is how powerful the media is. But sorry, that's that's what I think. Anyway, what do you think? What's, well, what's- I, mean, I, mean, I don't, do not have the in-depth knowledge you have by any stretch of the imagination. But you- and I have not looked at the polls or anything like that. Uh, I can see how your prediction could come to fruition. Uh, I Whether this is by design or not, I was watching ABC the other day. I Sometimes during campaigns, I turn on the mainstream channels to see what they're doing and yeah, I look at the way they present Albanese. I look at it and I'm like, she doesn't look like a leader. But mm-hmm. from what you've told me, I mean, like, I don't, I can't trust that. Uh, and I think a lot of people have that kind of feeling. And whether or not they'll actually vote for liberals, I think a lot of people will vote UAP. I think a lot of people in the swing, swing seats will vote UAP because you're looking at some more um, sort of first and second generation migrant communities. You're looking at people who have that bravado and are not willing to yield any sort of knowledge to the experts at all. They're, in fact, the antithesis to that. Uh, And I think they will vote for a party that they feel is a sort of sticking it to the people in power, and that probably is the UAP. And I think the UAP will gain a hell of a lot of votes. I don't think they'll actually win any uh, lower house seats. Mm. probably win a few Senate, Senate maybe, seats. Yeah. I think they could win yeah. one, one in each of the major states. I mean, yeah. they'll win it. They'll have a quite a substantial block in the Senate. 
Uh, and yeah, I could. I, I, if I were to guess, I would say you'd have to look at the exact bowling and in, in, in the swing seats in particular. Uh, but I would guess uh, what you said—a sort of a hung parliament with the um, liberals making some deals with some people and just narrowly maintaining its uh, their uh, grasp on power. It's fucking grim, man. I gotta say, it is really, really grim. And you know what else as well? I would say this. I honestly think that you are much more in tune with what the public is thinking because you don't pay attention. So what you get is just people's visceral attitudes and little clips of what people are thinking here and there, which is actually a really good intuitive like sample study almost. And I think you would be much better at picking winners and scenarios than I would. It's usually the case when it comes to this stuff. And usually when you, like when you do a, an Australian politics summary of a video, I think there's no way I could do that. But it rains true. Sorry, it rings true. There is a truth to it. Well, you're because it's not being clouded by yeah. data and things like that. No, it's it's the person's attitude. Vibe, yeah. The attitude. The attitude, definitely. Yeah, but I'm not. I, I don't think I'll even do much content this this time because look, a big uh, the the content I did do last year during that pandemic, a big turning point with me for me was that online safety bill. Obviously, that affects people like me disproportionately, but just the hypocrisy there was unbelievable, and that I guess was a big red pill moment as well. Well, there's more of that. Yeah, there's a lot sure. more of that. There's, uh, I've got one video coming up about it recently, but I mean, Jesus, do you need any more proof that their concepts of freedom are a complete lie hmm. to get you to vote for a party that otherwise has nothing to sell you? Nothing. This Just the fact that you like the movie Braveheart once and that you, you know, th- th- that, cons- okay. that that vibe, as you say, resonates. That's all they've got. But when it comes to, when it comes to actually defending free speech, they will shut it down immediately. The best strategy would be to have a bunch of people who hardly even talk about, probably are like, yeah, they're both fucked, but uh, I'll probably vote for this one. And then stop talking about it. And then if you like that person, then that might actually change people's minds. Mm. Just get on someone's level. And not uh, try to over-educate them. I, not educate them, but, you know, when people feel like they're, they're being lectured, they turn off. Uh, and if, they're, if, they're, if, if either party paid the drunk at every pub to just talk to everyone that walked in, be affable, be charismatic, and then at the end be like, yeah, they are all fucked. They're all a bunch of cunts, but I'm probably going to vote for this guy. He seems like less of a cunt. That would change more minds than anything. Than anyone. Fuck, you're so right. <laughs> you are think, so I right. I think that's like the only strategy you can have. Yeah. Uh, because if any other way, look, for both ways, anyone who's like passionately political, and I know, again, I, did, I didn't, it's just not an issue that I'm, I'm, I'm relatively knowledgeable. I'm probably more knowledgeable than the average person, but I'm no, I have absolutely nowhere near the knowledge Jordan does here. But 
anytime someone is is when you when you don't have the the, the sort of knowledge that I now do. When anyone from either side of culture or politics is is trying to convince you of something, you end up turning against them more often than not because oh, yeah. because they they kind of make you feel like oh you're a bad person if you don't or you're either usually for like labor or greens or you know if American culture war issues if you're on the left they make you feel like you're a bad person if you're not on the side. Their side, and then on the other side, they make you feel like an idiot if you're not on their side. Like you don't like freedom, and you don't like a good economy. All right, all right. Mm-hmm. or it's like you mm-hmm. you don't care about the environment, you don't care about all these important issues. Mm-hmm. You're selfish, and it's like either way, you're gonna feel like a shit person. <laughs> so, massively, so massively. Uh, I think people do more damage than uh, help by trying to you know overtly convince their friends and family. I think the best strategy is just look. I do not have the the expertise to say uh, which party I think is better or not. I mean, Jordan definitely has that expertise. So by all means, if you're listening, uh, I don't have any reason to doubt him there. But uh, if you're trying to convince people, either way, whatever whatever party you're going to vote for, I do think this. I think whatever uh, strategy you're going to have there in trying to convince them could probably backfire. So it's better to not. It's better to just make one offhand comment and try to make them laugh. Definitely, that's probably because the best you've just associated you some positive emotion with them at the very least. Exactly, that's it. And as you said, most people vote on cultural grounds. The other thing that has worked because I'm always saying when people say you have to do videos in this certain way that appeals to my parents, it's just like, dude, I I can't be anyone else but myself, right? What I can tell you is use the facts that I'm bringing up and then ask the person why they are voting for the Liberals or they're voting for the United Australia Party In a and then just say and do ex- non-judgmental way and then do exactly what the press does. Yeah, yeah, you like freedom, do you? Well, the Liberals are doing this because so that's not freedom. Oh, you know, you... You were tired of the lockdowns. Well, the lockdowns were extremely long because of the Liberal Party. Like, you you, know, you can do these things. You can, yeah, go on. For either, uh, a lot of people also base their vote on their, uh, their, just ha- their hatred for the worst stereotype of a, a, a tribe, if you will. So, people think about the Greens and think about just that most annoying woke girl that's going to, just lecture you about everything, never be able to have fun, feel like you're constantly in a negative mind space. I guess with Labor, you could also have that, but you could also have that sort of inner city, uh, older couple or just that sort of standard ABC viewer that is just a negative person that you just do not want to associate with with liberal you th- you, the the worst stereotype of that would be just like a, a either a Karen or just someone sort of a rich entitled older person that is so out of touch with just anything younger people have to go through and then I don't know yet what the negative stereotype for UAP is and maybe that's even a, a, a an advantage for them because you think about all the cunts associated with the other parties. And then with UAP, you're like, I don't know. I don't know enough about it yet. I don't know enough about the voting block. 
Yeah. It's a similar thing in America, in America right? Um, Coleman Hughes once on one of his podcasts made a really good point. It's like a lot of the, particularly for black Americans that live in the southern states, a lot of their values actually align a lot more with the Republican Party, especially on cultural grounds. But a big uh, reason uh, for, for them being very skeptical or wary of voting for that is when you think about your just your standard stereotypical racist white American, some guy that's just like, yeah, you know, it's not like I don't like them, but I just think they're criminal. I don't know, whatever the fuck. Like that guy, who they're going to vote for? Okay, most likely Republicans. Doesn't mean every Republican is like that, but often people want to avoid the worst stereotypes of any party. Even though it wouldn't make a difference, that person's going to be just as annoying regardless of whatever party wins. They're going to be smug for a couple of weeks. <laughs> That's all you're avo- avoiding at the end of the day. But that, for whatever reason, is extraordinarily powerful. And um, if you can sort of assuage that the, the negative tropes of that stereotype when you're convincing people as well, that can also be of benefit. Mm-hmm. Know, if, mm-hmm. if, if someone mm-hmm. is a Greens voter and then they say like, hey, look, we're actually far more in favour of free speech than anyone else actually look at the voting record or something, Mm. then you're immediately like, oh, really? Fuck. Well, that goes against the stereotype or um, some other examples. They're like, hey, Labor actually wants to reduce taxes here or something. Oh, sick. Yeah. Like if you can just sort of... Break the the stereotype. A a lot of people people of colour are actually turning to the Liberals now. And, you know, a lot of migrants are very much uh, just want to be left alone and pay as little tax as possible and that sort of thing. And, you know, it's not a party of old white people who are racist. Like that, yeah, that kind of breaking the stereotype, I think, would be helpful. Um, but that's just because I think very deeply in that way. I always associate a tribe with a stereotype, but the, so it could just be me there. But uh, I can't help it. You would have At least to, though. People would, that, that, yeah. yeah, influences people's uh, voting choices. I mean... Surely, with the American um, culture, with the way it is, there's just a huge proportion of people that might actually align with democratic policies more, but they think of, you know, that 50 year old CNN viewer with glasses, three fucking masks on, just being a cunt. <laughs> and they're like, oh, I'm not voting for that. Fuck that. Yeah. I just hate them. Yes. And similarly, with the like, ah, oh, they're. they're the redneck that just doesn't know any that you know isn't isn't academically educated and is crude and doesn't think about what they say and is just it just lacks any sort of decorum or common sense. Maybe you might align with Republican values more, but ah, just just fuck them. <laughs> I don't want yeah. anything to do with that. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think it's as pronounced here because, like, even just like two weeks ago, we were doing. Things we did those line games. Things liberal voters don't say. Things greens voters don't say. Things labor voters don't say. It was very easy to think of stereotypes for liberal and greens. It's actually very hard to think of a stereotype for labor, right? Because for greens, you think, okay, the the yes, just woke, you know, very politically correct, inner city, younger, affluent, uh, utopian kind of people. Liberals, you think, okay, older, you know, baby boomers. Um, but with Labour, you know, I don't know what the stereotype is. I guess they'd be like blue-collar workers, but I'd imagine a lot of them are now going to be vo- the ones voting for UAP. I guess maybe that inner city, uh, yeah, whatever, affluent um, ABC viewer. But that's uh, that's a very also a very sort of vague stereotype. It's it's actually kind of hard to 
make fun of Labour voters. Like, I don't, I don't know what to. You, you, well, you'd have you what, to go with the what. You kind of just have to go with like the 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 green, the stereotypical Greens voter, but not as annoying. Or, well, see, or just a bit thing, older, a bit older. But that's a press narrative, right? Like they want you to associate that Greens woke person with the Labor Party. But the reality of the situation is the average Labor voter is a single mum that is a nurse with a couple of kids. Oh, okay. That's yeah, the so average fucking Labor voter. Yeah, you know, they're usually people that are public servants. They're like firemen. They're, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They yeah, work in the bureaucracy. Kind of, yeah. They're a nurse. It's hard to make fun of that. <laughs> it's pretty hard, man. Like, I was like, things Labor voters don't say. The best line I could come up with was like, yeah, I probably do deserve less pay because I get six weeks of school holidays. Like, that's the best I could come up with. Where was it again? Go through it again. It's One like more time. things Labor voters don't say. Oh, don't say. They never on. say Go that. On. Say it again. Ah, uh, yeah, I probably do deserve less pay because I get twelve weeks of school holidays. That's like the dude, best. That's, that's the best I could come pretty, up with. I can't. I that can't. was your. That was your stereotype that you thought of when you thought of Labor person. Well, yeah, because like I, I didn't want to do like the because with all the woke lines, I went with Greens, which is going to be a which funny is true. clip. <laughs> but um, I couldn't think of what it. I, yeah, because I kind of thought. Um, Something about, yeah, you can joke about unions and things like that. But then even then, like, I, I see stuff on Facebook where there's, like, construction workers being like, yeah, fuck the unions now. They're all fucking woke now. Like, I don't, I just don't know what, it's it's hard to, it's it's actually a very hard group to nail as a comedian. Mm. I want to, like, I want to make fun of everyone, but I just don't. But that's the whole thing. Like, yeah, it's really fucking hard to dump on firefighters and nurses, isn't it? It's just like if anyone in society doesn't deserve to be shat on. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Although I think everyone should get made fun of. Yeah, but it's just like what do they do? Okay, so they they save people's houses and people's lives. Oh, what an idiot. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you, you can do it with the things they never say. Yeah, you can sort of just say you could you could subtly make those into something that's actually a compliment. Hmm. Like you, what? You can say, uh, okay. So the the strongest reaction I got, we'll probably conclude this one here. But the strongest reaction I got with things Greens voters never say was, um, well, it's not their land anymore, and everyone oh, was, oh. but I'm saying that's a subtle compliment. If anything, it's. I'm saying they're actually very aware of, you know, the historical atrocities. It's not actually a bad. It's not. It's not. An, don't cancel me, guys. Cancel. <laughs> I'm fucking brown. I can't get cancelled. But that sort of thing. You're not really making. Like, yeah, it's a strong. It's a strong line. But it's it's it's, it's actually if you if you break that down, it's if anything a compliment. Right. Because it's you're, you're flipping it. Things they never say. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you can actually, yeah, uh, like we we really struggled with the labor one. We we were all sitting there like, what, what the fuck? Like I don't I don't know. Like we're thinking kind of real Aussie and Ocker, but then even then, that's like more nationals. Like I don't, I just, it's very hard to like nail down that stereotype. Yeah, I'm I telling you, their the, constituency is public servants. That's what then it, it is. was like I watched the ABC, but even then, it's like, well, they do sometimes. Some of them do. Like that's the thing. You you sort of. 50-year-old uh, affluent ABC viewer would probably vote Labor, but also the 20-something-year-old on a construction site. Although now I don't know if they'll vote UAP, but, okay, the nurse, the 20-something-year-old nurse or teacher would also vote Labor. Like it's, 
it's a it's a it's a tough uh, stereotype, you know, because they're both one. very different, and you can't you, you can make fun of one of those. Two. Like that's what I did with the Australian two minutes in twenty twenty one. It was like. 50% of Labor voters were like, oh, fuck it, I want to say what I want at the job site. Fuck these woke cunts. And then another 50% were like, we, we really need, like, um, we really need to, like, police the language in the public uh, service here. Like, it's just getting too inappropriate. But it's just like that. You've got to kind of, like, make fun of those two groups. I remember that. And that was actually a really good observation of the current fucking quagmire they're in. That really sums up their constituency. The only one yeah, that I can but add... the real issue is that it's hard for comedians, okay? <laughs> Fix it, you dogs. The only, the only stereotype that I can think of for them that I think reigns true is watching the ABC, but yeah, people relentlessly bitching about the ABC, yes, but also yes. at the same time being like, but you've got to protect the institution. That is a fucking Labor voter to and, a T. And you know what I would say as a result of that? Everyone hates those cunts. Everyone fucking... Well... Everyone who's under the age of fucking 50 hates those cars. Everyone over the age of 50 is like, it's auntie. I remember play school. Like, but anyway, uh, uh, but I think, yeah, if, if, but this is like, it's so fucking specific and niche because these things just aren't part of the culture for a reason. They want to make labor as invisible as possible. But I reckon if it was things labor voters never say, it would be, fuck, I'm glad Lee Sales hosts the 730 report. That would be something that, like, a lot of Labor voters like would be like, wouldn't. thank you. Huh? Yeah. See, that's too niche. I wouldn't- It's way too fucking niche. Hmm. It's way too niche. Well, uh, I think we'll conclude this one there. Thank you, Jordan. That was very passionate. Thank you. Fuck Lee Sales. Uh, tickets on sale. Check them out. It's on sales. Oh, yeah. Sorry. No, you, you go, you <laughs> I just go. interrupted you. There, go on. But just go, go to our respective websites. You yes. know our names. Yes. And I got Brisbane. Finally got a Brisbane show on sale. And when? the fact that they uh, sit down comedy club. The Comics Lounge of Brisbane. When, 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 when? Uh, 12th of June, I believe it is. It's, it is a Sunday. We're going to do those uh, non-Sydney shows on a Sunday. Uh, I'm going to try and fucking go. Fuck yeah. Come along. I really want to go. Be mad. Hey, and also as a big compliment to you, the guys yeah. at the Comics Lounge said that, and just as an advertisement for them, said that your guys' live show goes off. Yeah, it's been really good so far. We've done about four Melbourne shows and got one. I think, well, yeah, when this comes out, there'll be another Melbourne show pretty much going on. So, you know what? Um, we might try to get this one out a bit early. So, you know, on the off chance you're listening, get, <laughs> on, get on down to the Comics Lounge <laughs> and you're in Melbourne. So, in fact, I'm going to talk a lot about what I'm doing in the next podcast, um, changing changing the game, changing the comedy game. So, uh, that was definitely Jordan's podcast. Love listening to you, man. Love listening to anyone who's passionate about it, any subject. So, thank you for that. Uh, go to our respective websites and uh, get yourself these ball boost tablets, you fucking neckbeards, and <laughs> get steadyfreddy.com. Use the code Neil Jordan. And Crush Organics, Crush with a K, use the code. Um, Neil, 40, oh, oh, of course, use all the labels, use only as directed. And, oh, if you want to send in a question or topic or shout out, neilcohacker.com slash podcast. And all the money goes to charity. So uh, become a subscriber and 100% of it goes to the Life You Can Save charity. Thank you, AJ. I hope you still listen after Jordan. <laughs> Destroyed you there. Sorry, sorry, man. It's look again. I'm sure you are an expert in something, and yeah, you, you've really asked the wrong person about those things to get any uh, sympathy from it. But it's just like that 
is a relentless point that is always hit at me. But yeah, this has nothing to do with you as a person. And, and, and exactly this, this is exactly the other day, just to summarize on this, that whole Scott Morrison thing, I thought, yeah, okay, the press are going to let the Labor Party in this election because they're shitting on Scott Morrison. And then it took me a while to figure out the press narrative and I realized, no, they're saying Scott Morrison is bad, but the Liberals are great. So you just have to be with Scott Morrison, re-elect the Liberals. But that took a while of calibration and I always focus on this stuff and I get it wrong all the time as well, you know? And I've been wrong many a time. My new stand-up show is about how I was wrong about something my entire life. Anyway, that's what I'd like to say. Alrighty. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a good one. Happy Anzac Day. I think this is coming out just before Anzac Day. Have a good one. See ya.